0: Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. What do we trying?
1: Jesus!
0: <laughs> right. Oh, God. Big old JC.
2: It's uh, Jesus Day. That's Who's true.
3: in the house? James JC's C's in the house. house. The
4: two that were raised Protestants. <laughs>
2: That's enough then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're starting our discussion. Uh, oh, damn. That was the wrong episode. <laughs> you guys comfortable with all that? You want me to keep that? Is that what we're going to go with? I don't, I don't know. I don't know where yeah, to... Let's try that again. do let it see come. I don't know. In
0: this corner, weighing about as much as a Catholic Pope, our resident Catholic Riley, versus the man who weighs as much as John three sixteen. <laughs> Is this is the big, you know, guys. The big Protestant versus Catholic. <laughs> WWE, like is there? WWE? <laughs> is it? Yeah, absolutely. Because all the baggling is pointless. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I roll from Riley. <laughs> okay, and and a bunch of Protestants too, Sam. Dude, sure. Yeah, um, more pointless. Ouch. John the, Wesley? There's
1: Protestants <sniffs> that have devoted their
0: Ouch, lives Martin to Martin
2: Luther? This. Like that guy shows you yeah, on poor
3: YouTube. Poor Martin Luther. He didn't do what
0: he <laughs> did. He just went on.
4: Martin Luther converted <clears throat> back on his deathbed.
5: It's fine.
2: We're about to embark on a perilous journey to demonstrate something that I first heard during my years of fieldwork in the Spiritualist Church that Jesus of Nazareth was what we would call on this podcast an occultist. Spiritualists don't tend to like the word occult, so they specifically called him a great teacher and healer and medium. But for our purposes, it amounts to the same thing. There's a bunch of stuff we need to clear up before we can even start to make the case on this. First, let's just remind ourselves what occult means to the alchemical actors. The word itself is generally considered to have been coined by Eliphas Levy in the 19th century, and refers to magical practices after the Enlightenment, roughly 1700 to the present day. Here, we use occult as a catch-all term to include the esoteric, and go a bit further still to include pretty much any practice, ritual, or belief that involves the manifestation of the supernatural in the natural world. Most Christians would at least agree with us, then, on that broad definition. Christians. Yeah. All right. Jesus performed miracles either through the power of the Holy Spirit or through His own divinity, which contradicted or overrode the rules of the natural world. Most of the miracles revolved around a kind of healing, which is why we're getting around to Jesus in this series. He healed the sick. He exorcised demons. He raised the dead. For our listeners who are not so familiar with Christianity, a couple of facts about these events might surprise you. First. Scholars are fairly confident that Jesus was a real historical person. Second, we're also pretty confident that he actually performed most, if not all, of the miracles attributed to him. In fact, he wasn't the only healer or miracle worker wandering around greater Jerusalem at this time period. Arguably, what made him stand out, besides, of course, his crucifixion and rising from the dead, was that he performed all of his services for free. The question for us today is, how did Jesus perform his miracles, and how does he fit into the broader story we're telling about spiritual healing? My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors. My PhD is in alternative religious ritual of various stripes. I'm joined by Olivia hello, our grand master of the order, and...
1: Hello!
3: My fellow
2: non-Christian, I guess, for this conversation <laughs> yeah, because...
1: Yeah,
2: I, I feel weird. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, we're even now. Well,
3: it's like I used to be there, and I I jumped ship.
2: Oh, so yeah, I was never like, there in the first place, so...
3: It was fun. <laughs> we'll <in> good times.
2: <laughs> Let's introduce our, our fellow panelists today. We've got Riley Claxton back in the seat. How long has it been?
4: A little while. It's been a little it's been while. a hot minute.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so Riley is, as those of you who are longtime listeners know, our resident Catholic.
4: Resident Catholic. Oh my gosh, do I have a, do I have a I, an <laughs> intro song now? Yeah,
2: it's yeah, pretty sweet, honestly. I was working on the website today, it, and, and I just went ahead and labeled Riley resident Catholic, so I think that's like going to be her like, official title. Wow. It
0: should be like more yeah. Gregorian chant, though. Oh yeah, that's true. I'm sorry
3: true. that my song wasn't good enough for you, Protestant. Ooh. That was a little too Protestant to the song.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Oh, very well, well, that was pretty okay. good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> See, I started you. I got you in the mood. Uh, speaking of uh, people who are in the mood, Sam Steen what is, is our Protestant for the what? day. I don't like that they're laughing at the mention of my name. <laughs> of you His being in the mood. You
3: said you were in the mood. Made me feel weird. He's in the
2: mood for Jesus. For Jesus. Oh. Oh. Uh, so, uh, So Riley is going to provide the Catholic perspective. Sam's going to provide the Protestant perspective. Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do want to note uh, that Riley is a liberal Catholic mm-hmm. and that Sam is a, what did you questioning Christian? A conflicted Christian. A conflicted.
4: Sam is a future
0: Catholic. She's <laughs> really working, like, the having me switch sides so you can
2: see what kind of fun we're gonna have today (laughs) this is good (laughs) um so that's by way of saying i i know that our listeners uh many of you are like olivia you've you've departed from from the christian church or like myself
0: Enough of that, please. You've it's been hurting my ears, you've my worked, Protestant
2: ears. We've worked on the outside of, of the established dominant traditions, um, but so the Christians we've invited to speak with us are regular contributors to the podcast. First of all, so they're comfortable with the subject matter. Second of all, they're not trying to convert any of you. Just Sam. Uh,
1: <laughs> that is the
2: name of the game in protestantism guys we the members of the secret, secret order, order of alchemical, alchemical actors, actors to do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history
0: of the occult as far as we know it,
2: it. amen <laughs> oh no that's the first time that's ever happened i don't know how to respond to that i felt
3: really weird about it just,
0: it was more of a like a te- I want to see how you guys would respond. We kind of
3: like froze. Like we did freeze. <laughs> we were like deer in headlights i I'm not proud second. of our It
0: was response. like when you catch your cat about to like knock something off the shelf. You're like, hey, stop that. He's like.
3: Yeah, we just like looked at each other. Like, what do we.
0: So go ahead and just knock <laughs> it over it's now. It's too guys. late. It's off the do shelf. Do we also say amen? <laughs> <We>
2: want- <laughs> Let's get to our three plugs, Olivia.
3: Plug, plug,
2: plug. We start for every uh, time. It is, yeah. That Let's... was like a little
3: ghosty at the end. <laughs> Ooh, ghosty.
2: We're getting there. our for the guest, Holy Spirit. We want to, we want to give... The, <laughs> sorry. 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 We want to give a word of thank you to our guest scholar for today's episode, regular listener, friend of the podcast, Emery Jones emory is the second guest scholar we've had so far they vetted our episode and offered suggestions to keep us on the right side of the scholarship emory is a graduate of saint edwards university and their research concerns trans imagery in early jewish and christian mystical and apocalyptic literature yeah both (laughs) canonical and extra canonical trans imagery isn't that interesting i would love to hear what they have to say just
0: on that subject, it uh, yeah. just sounds so
2: interesting. Yeah. We've got to, yeah, we've got to invite Emery to, to speak more on this. Also, uh, like
0: I like their name, Emery. Emery.
2: Uh, also, uh, Emery considers what this means today in a Christian faith fractured by competing understandings of gender.
1: Uh, mm. yeah.
2: So interesting stuff. Thank Ralph you, Emery. Yeah. Let's uh, mention our sources, which Emery also helped us with Jesus the Magician by Morton Smith, The Historical Jesus by John Dominic Crossan, The Life of Apollonius by Philostratus, translated by F.C. Coney Bear, and Miracles in Greco Roman Antiquity by Wendy Cotter. Wonderful. Yes, indeed. Nice. <clears throat> and uh, last but not least, uh, the three, three <laughs> the Trinity of Podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> the holy trinity of the podcasting, trinity of podcasting. Nice. subscribe to the episode number one review us if you're enjoying and number three give us some money on patreon there it is it's three it is three yeah all right, right. <laughs> close up the plugs
3: plug plug plug
2: is that official a... now that's what we do plug them back up you <laughs> <let it.
1: laughs>
2: All right. I had said at the top of this uh, that this was going to be a perilous journey. We're sailing carefully between the Scylla of Christian dogma and the Charybdis of biblical scholarship. I've been at some conferences. Um, <laughs> biblical scholars can be intense. They will. Oh yeah. They will cut. A scholar.
3: <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, so let's get a couple of things out of the way before we attempt this feat first. I am not a biblical scholar. I will not cut a scholar. I don't read Greek, I don't read Aramaic, my doctoral language was French, and the historical period I'm most comfortable talking about is technically 1870 to 1890.
3: Solid, solid. Yeah, really, though.
2: Uh, (laughs) Good years. (laughs) They were. They were. Uh, I'm reaching what I consider to be reasonable conclusions based on the scholarship of people who do read those languages and do study the first hundred years of the first millennium for a living. Second, there's an important difference between history, which we're interested in today, and theology, which we're going to try to avoid. History lets us know what conclusions we can reasonably draw based on the evidence we have. Theology is more like philosophy. It makes reasoned cases for belief systems and draws conclusions based on those beliefs. Theology in this context is concerned with how Jesus understood himself and how the tradition has interpreted his life and words. History looks for verifiable evidence that makes sense given the context. That doesn't make history more significant. Belief really requires both to function, but... If we got involved in theology, we'd have to start guessing at whether the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or the Methodists or the Catholics had the best interpretation of the Gospels. What's your brand of Protestantism? Uh, well, the church I technically go to is called non-denominational.
0: <laughs>
4: oh, he's the no-branch version. But
0: I grew, up, Non-committal. I grew up
2: Episcopalian, which is Diet Catholics. Yeah, it's a flavor. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, where were we? <laughs> I got really thrown off with a non-denominational thing. Uh, It's a a, a thing. It's a
4: growing, thing. So we can't
2: guess which of those have the best interpretation of the Gospels. And the truth is, nobody knows. Religion is essentially an interpretation of a miracle. I like that definition. I'm going to hold to that. Uh, And as I can't say enough on this podcast, interpretation is subject to doubt. Yes. All right, so let's get to what we know. (laughs) Most of what we know about Jesus of Nazareth comes from four reports, better known as the Gospels. The oldest is attributed to Mark, was written around the year 60, or about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, give or take. Matthew and Luke were next, writing around 90, when John, uh, and then John, which was a bit after them. So from a historian's perspective, Mark is the most authoritative, because he's closer in history to the actual life of Jesus, and because his book, was actually a source for the later accounts. Matthew and Luke drew on Mark and also on a hypothetical, I wanna stress hypothetical because Bible scholars are arguing about this right now, a hypothetical, what they call the Q source, just the letter Q, uh, and that may or may not exist. This is an account of Jesus's life that has been lost to history, but seems to have informed both Matthew and Luke. When we compare them, there seemed to be this, this underlying secret book a cult secret, uh, and accounts for many similarities between their texts that aren't also found in Mark. So we can see that you know they took Mark and they just took a bunch of Mark and they were like, oh, we love all this stuff, this is great, we're gonna work with this. And then we can see this other stuff, that is not in Mark, that they both have in common. So we're guessing that this comes from a single source and they oh, pulled them together.
1: So that's
4: the only little vocab term. The uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels the synoptics. And John, which came a little bit later, is not one of those because the three of them are more similar than John. Um, and there's doubt, more I feel like the most doubt surrounding the Gospel of John. So they're called the synoptics. Poor John. Mm-hmm.
2: But he made it into the top four. He
4: did. So go.
2: you gotta give him some credit there. <laughs> Good old John. <laughs> Everyone knows that <it>, John
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who makes it into the top four, but yeah, still doubt him a little bit. The Gospel writers tend to agree about the basic outline of Jesus' life, but there are differences between their accounts. Geography and chronology are a little messy, for example. Also, they differ on which aspects of the story of Jesus' life they include. The Christmas story, for example, only comes up in Matthew and Luke. Mark and John start with Jesus' baptism and focus on his ministry. Let's talk about Christmas for a moment, shall we?
3: Oh, let's talk about
1: Christmas.
2: (laughs) Oh... All right, I, I can feel the hostility.
0: You know how feeling. I have feelings. <laughs> I've not heard such feelings from all of you. You haven't? No,
3: never. I've Hagen Corner over here, hi. I'm...
2: <laughs> well, you know, Christmas is a little of each, to be honest.
1: <laughs>
3: Let's talk
2: about the Jesus part. Jesus' birth narrative is generally subject to a fair amount of scholarly doubt. The story goes that Jesus was born in a manger while his family was on a trip to register their names with a Roman census. Shortly after birth, he was visited by angels and magi from the Far East, all declaring his divinity. This divinity was confirmed by the miraculous nature of his birth. His mother was a virgin. And Riley was also born of a virgin birth? Help me out with this. No. Okay.
4: So the Immaculate Conception is not that she was born of a virgin birth. Oh, I remember I read about this in class, actually. Yeah. Okay. So the Immaculate Conception is not... It's that she was conceived without sin. So she herself was conceived without sin.
2: Without sin. Yeah. So she... But with sex.
4: Um, yeah. No. That's not a
2: sin. Oh, good.
4: <laughs>
3: we're all on the same page.
0: <laughs> it's not a sin. I, I even believe sex is But that. Sin.
2: Um, well, but yeah, the priests aren't getting to it anytime but soon. That,
4: <laughs> but that... Um, but... So the Immaculate Conception is that she was conceived without sin. So it's not that... Um, the kind of analogy that I like to use is that if it was like um, like if the rest of us had fallen into a mud pit, right? And we were all muddy and then we were taken like out of that. We were like rescued out of that mud pit, right? Yeah, and cleaned in the baptisms. Yeah, whereas Mary like almost fell into that mud pit but was rescued before she did. That's more of like the kind of that she wasn't, it's not like she is this god, but um, but that she was saved.
2: like Some before. miraculous intervention. Yeah, so
4: that it was an immaculate conception that she was conceived immaculate. Lovely. Yeah.
2: Scott, thank you for clearing that up.
4: You're welcome. Scholars aren't <laughs> sure
2: if the census mentioned took place at the right point in history for it to line up with Jesus's birth. There's one question. Also, Jesus probably had brothers and sisters, which challenges the concept of a virginal Mary overall. Depending on when they were born, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's also a possibility that the brothers and sisters, uh, the women were weren't literal brothers and sisters, but plausibility stretches in the attempt to keep Mary virginal throughout her life. Right. <laughs> a little tough. Okay, you guys can I, do wonderful things.
4: No, I, 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 I won't get off on right. the That's not the purpose of this.
2: Could have been his cousins anyway, but they are called brothers and sisters. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. okay. across traditions and time periods, it's pretty common for believers to invent or exaggerate the birth narratives of their founders. This to me is a slightly larger point. One story of the Buddha has him emerging from his mother's womb, walking and talking, and promising salvation to all of humankind. This doesn't mean that the Christmas story never happened. Certainly more suspicious than much of the rest of what we know from the Gospels, though, because there's an incentive to develop a powerful origin story. story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a Keanu Reeves is in a movie where he plays the Buddha,
1: <laughs>
2: and they do this scene of the Buddha popping out of the womb. And
3: are you being serious? For yeah, me? no, I'm, I'm. Oh my! What? Completely where do I serious. watch that?
2: I don't remember the name of it, but it's well, John with it's who? Is it like I'm a little movie. Keanu Reeves? I don't, it's a CGI baby. It's from, you know, years ago, but anyway, Uh, I will say what's interesting
4: about that birth story, I think that makes it unique is how underwhelming and overwhelming it is at the same time. Like that it is this, this miraculous um, conception, but that it's also so completely underwhelming. Right? Like, I mean... In the
2: manger, you
4: mean? Yeah. Like, literally surrounded by poop and animals. Like, it's just this very... It's, it's such a
0: dichotomy It's nice for the of,
2: social justice message of yes. Yes. Jesus.
0: Like, uh, my church is really hammering the idea that, you know, Jesus was born at, like, the lowest level. So, like, so he's not, like, this... Inf- the superior thing that couldn't relate
2: to us. The Romans did have slaves...
1: Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Could
2: have been slightly worse. Uh, (laughs) Could have always been worse. (laughs) Some of the slaves were actually doing pretty well, though. And it's complicated. So (laughs) the Christmas story, oddly enough, points toward Jesus's potential esoteric connections. We're already on the occult. The Magi, literally Persian priests and astrologists, were those Middle Eastern guys who brought the newborn Jesus some frankincense and myrrh. Two of my child's favorite toys mm. as a baby. She Me loved too. the frankincense Aww. and myrrh. Yeah. Couldn't wait to get her hands on that myrrh. Um, Matthew may have included the magi as a reference to Jesus' training at the hands of Egyptian magic workers in late adolescence. Oh, shit. Possibly. <laughs> in order to get our minds fully around this, although Olivia apparently is already... <laughs> She's this, sorry i'm like, <laughs> <off>. <laughs> uh, We have to take a deep dive into biblical conspiracy theory.
3: Oh, 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 God, I love... Oh, oh, I'm here. Yeah. Are we going to talk about... Because didn't they prove, basically, that there's no way based on the constellations? Like, he had to have been born in July, right? Oh, oh no. Yeah.
2: I mean, <laughs> yes, Jesus was definitely not born on December 25th. Yeah, that was, okay. I was just making sure. Really, I didn't know we
1: were
4: going to talk about
3: that. The Christian
2: church's attempt to eliminate a pagan holiday. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that's not the conspiracy I'm talking about. What are we talking about? Because that one, pretty much, we just did that one right then. Now it's over. <laughs> we're talking about uh, what... Uh, Jesus' enemies said about him during his lifetime and immediately after his death, which is that he was a black magician.
3: Yo! That's my Jesus! (laughs) I'm going back to the Methodist Church, because they didn't tell me that.
0: They
2: probably never will.
0: Yeah,
2: Olivia's gotten all excited, and I'm gonna have to say this now. Like most conspiracy theories, it's nonsense. But it clues (laughs) us into the culture Jesus was performing his miracles in. The case for Jesus as black magician begins in Egypt, where he was supposed to have learned his arts from naked sages.
6: <laughs> this is the Jesus I
2: want. <laughs> Why naked? That's just how they were. I, I actually there don't know. There were no clothed sages? They're, they're just, well, there are, but not in Egypt. It's so, hot there.
3: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I, maybe they're just sages. it up. Most people are up. Naked. You, Do you think they at least out. wore,
2: like, jewelry or something? Or were air they just, like, out. completely bare? I feel like jewelry would... If you're going to be a naked sage, you you don't go with jewelry. You're going to go all the way. Okay. Yeah. You, know? you don't want
3: to stand out.
2: <laughs> you're a sage. You,
0: you're have you met Jim? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The naked sage? Yeah, he's a cool dude. <laughs> yeah,
3: he wears an emerald. Oh, whoa, whoa. I had no idea
0: Jim wore an emerald. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: not, he's not naked.
2: Matthew agrees that as a boy, Jesus traveled to Egypt. The Magi give Jesus their frankincense and their myrrh and have a dream that Herod is out to get them, so they return to their own country. They're magi. They have dreams.
3: Yeah. No, I'm just Herod.
2: And then Jesus. Yeah, that dude. i was
3: throwing it back to Herod for a second. I just forgot he existed until you just said it. You
2: giggle every time anyone mentions Herod.
3: He's a funny dude.
2: And then Joseph <laughs> has a dream so in which an course. angel of the Lord appears to him. Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee in Egypt and be thou there until I
6: bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him.
2: Joseph, Mary, and Jesus stayed in Egypt until after Herod's death, which happened in 4 BC. For those of you who know what BC stands for, this should come as a bit of a surprise. Today, we use the letters BCE, meaning before the common era, but traditionally, BC meant before Christ. Jesus went to Egypt four years before he was born.
0: <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> uh, okay, so the he truth used is...
0: Jesus so he could... <laughs> <laughs>
4: God is outside of time.
0: Jesus was... What is that called? Omnitemporal?
2: Jesus was not actually born in the year one. We don't know when he was born, but it was roughly between six and four years before that. So Jesus could have been born six years before Jesus.
0: Before, before.
2: Again, chronology is a tricky thing. Wild. Okay, so Matthew placed... Super meta. Super meta. (laughs) Super meta. Jesus was born before Jesus. So Matthew placed Jesus in Egypt as a boy, although some believed he traveled there between his youth and his baptism by John. In Egypt, the argument goes, is where he received his tattoos.
1: That's right! <laughs>
2: Jesus might have had tattoos. Do My Jesus like, is back. Do you think they're like super sick tribal tattoos? <laughs>
0: <laughs> or like... I'm going to let you imagine American traditional. Yeah. laugh, love. He's yeah, like or infinity like,
3: sign. It's like freedom, <laughs>
0: it's like, and then like the M is flying away in freedom.
3: It's like instead of mom in a heart, it's God. Not, those,
4: not all those who wander are lost.
2: So let's give some evidence for leaves. this. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys like being sacrilegious? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, listen, we do it all the time. <laughs> Paul claimed to have been branded with the marks of Jesus, i.e., the same marks Jesus carried and magicians at the time period were often tattooed with spells and symbols. It's possible that Paul meant stigmata in speaking of the marks of Jesus, but that stigmata, given the context, is really unlikely, because the tradition of stigmata is considerably later.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So tattoos are the actually the more likely explanation. From my perspective, the journey to Egypt and the tattoos are the most plausible parts of the conspiracy theory after this it just sort of goes off the rails but jesus could have gone to egypt and he could have had tattoos that stuff makes sense but there's no way to know what follows from here gets pretty outlandish so uh let's all buckle our seatbelts yeah <laughs> click uh, uh, your seatbelt should already be buckled though if you're Clap. driving and listening to this so
3: yeah, don't yeah. unbuckle. I'm just
2: don't unbuckle. unbuckle. Leave them buckled. Mm-hmm. Let's turn to one of Jesus' most spectacular miracles, the raising of Lazarus.
3: Well that do with day. Big mood.
2: Yeah. Now, even uh, growing up outside of a church tradition, I heard the story of Lazarus, and you all did. As children, um, right? <laughs> oh, no, okay. Wait, what? Riley heard it in Latin. She didn't know what was going on.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. I heard it from my youth pastors, like, and then Lazarus, guys. How crazy. Lazarus stood up. (laughs) That was my youth pastor, Newell. Newell. (laughs) Shout out
1: to Newell.
2: Okay, so as children, we hear the Lazarus story as a kind of extreme variant on the healing of the sick, right? It presages Jesus' own rise from the dead. It's a nice, you know, foreshadowing. But it also looks an awful lot like necromancy.
3: That's why I liked it so much as a kid.
2: Herod wondered if John the Baptist had been brought back to life when stories of Jesus' miracles first surfaced. Some of Jesus' enemies believed he had recalled John's ghost as a familiar spirit and was working with him, right? In Mark, Matthew, and Luke, Jesus is accused of using the demon Beelzebub as a familiar to accomplish his miracles. This prompts the famous line about a house divided against itself. How can
6: Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided,
2: he cannot stand, but hath an end." It's a good line, and a good defense of any white magic practice. The fact that he needs to say it at all, though, shows how he was interpreted by those who opposed him. They saw him as a black magician. We lose this, right? We don't really reflect on this but that's how he was being perceived by his enemies. Anti-gospels, let's say that phrase again, anti-gospels circulated among the Jews that argued Jesus was, now here it gets really wild, a Galilean magician who practiced cannibalism and engaged in orgies with his followers. This is at basically the same time as the gospels are being written. And after he had been put to death for his practices, the Romans often crucified or burned magicians by the way, they stole his body in the night and claimed that he descended into heaven. You can read a pretty bald-faced perversion of Jesus's teachings about communal love in the orgies, right? The Eucharist in the cannibalism, do you see? So they're basically taking the basic tenets of Christianity and turning them on their heads. Mm -hmm. And the resurrection in this account, the resurrection, you know, the stealing of bodies mm-hmm. clearly this was all a kind of anti-christian propaganda and not a word of it was true except of course the tattoos in egypt maybe but it shows how jesus was perceived you got me yep mm-hmm. any thoughts before we carry on I didn't i've heard it
0: before
1: no
2: really yeah oh yeah
0: absolutely mm-hmm. um well just because um you know like my branch of christianity is really focused on you know evangelism and going out and sharing the word um you know that's like what we're all about you know we have youth ministries and stuff you know when i go out in my youth ministry stuff and i go to kids there are plenty of kids who don't believe and when i start talking to them about it who get like i would say snotty but like i don't want to like you know disrespect them in any way but in a way they're being like i know this and you don't so like i've heard it plenty of times before from high school kids wow
2: yeah what are they teaching in the high schools uh,
0: nothing like they're just like they're like the kids who sit in the back of the class and like spin their <laughs> pens with their fedoras and are like i'm failing school because school teaches school grades a goldfish on its ability to climb a tree i'm better than this type Oh, I see.
2: So they're they yeah. They're spouting they're like a, an they're argument like, that goes back to ancient Judaism. Yeah, because like they love like they love like
0: Richard Dawkins and stuff like that, ah. and like so they go down this rabbit hole and get these conspiracies. So when
5: eighteen-year-old
0: <laughs> youth pastor Sam Steen walks up and is like, "Hey, kids, want to learn about the gospel?" They're like, "Jesus was a cannibal and a necromancer."
2: <laughs> I can't believe uh, that's why. That so, really surprises me too. I normally don't get public schools.
1: at least at Can Island. Like,
2: So, the the atheists have adopted the arguments of the Jews and the pagans from the ancient times. As a way of discrediting.
0: As a way of discrediting. um, It does make sense. Yeah. yeah.
2: I'm fascinated, though. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Shall we talk miracles? Yeah, sure. Let's talk miracles. Miracles. The the more his-
4: that I get an intro and so <laughs> you're,
2: you're on the, it's like, I didn't want an intro
0: anyway a lot of
2: things it wasn't get, anyway yeah. the more historically valid story starts when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist okay so leaving aside Christmas and all the things that we're not so sure about we are pretty if pretty sure says John Dominic Crosan one of the surest things we can know about John the Baptist and Jesus is that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. The Baptist offered a radical alternative to the practice of the Jewish priests, running essentially a cult in the wilderness, a little sect of Judaism. In the established priesthood, for a fee—so we're talking about established Judaism, right? So John is working against this. So the established priesthood worked like this. You could have your sins washed away through priestly sacrifice. John said, I've got a much less expensive variant, and it's called baptism. This was a challenge to the Jewish authorities, and it stirred up all kinds of trouble, because this is how they're making their money. John claimed his baptism as a fulfillment of prophecy to make the impure pure again and to forgive sin. At this time, one of the temple's major functions was to perform appropriate sacrifices to Yahweh in order to relieve believers of their sins. These were animal sacrifices for the most part and came at a steep price this led to a money driven priesthood which john sought to disrupt we can think about jesus throwing over the tables of the money changers in the mm-hmm. temple which is getting at more or less the same issue
3: this is like indulgences before mm-hmm. indulgences too yeah.
2: much money in religion
4: well and you can compare it to how it's often compared of like the sacrifice of christ like being like like why christians don't need to do that. like we don't have animal sacrifices because oh, he right. did it and for free yeah. Like, he, 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 to have, you know, especially the people of this culture understand exactly what he was doing was to fulfill, like, that sacrifice. Like, no longer were sacrifices needed.
2: Mm-hmm. And to show that. He paid it for eternity. And John really paved the way. Yep. He preached that the Messiah was coming, that an apocalypse was at hand. I don't know about an apocalypse, so we're still waiting on that.
5: <laughs> and the
2: gospel, a lot of people have preached apocalypse. We're getting to that in our next series and the gospel writers interpreted this preaching to mean that jesus of nazareth was the messiah jesus was according to mark visited by a spirit at his baptism which drove him deep into the wilderness for 40 nights
3: oh satan right is that satan 40 nights no
2: not the holy spirit no, oh but yeah is satan he's he yeah, tempted, yeah. tempted yeah
3: for 40 days mm-hmm. so that's like one of my favorite
4: stories mm mm-hmm. mhm
2: you just like stuff with Satan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 40 days is a powerful mythological time period. It's not only the period of the Old Testament flood and the desert fasts of Moses and Elijah that may have been uh, practiced Hebrew prophets used to induce visions, but is also the amount of time the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree oh, to achieve enlightenment.
3: That's what I was going to ask you.
2: Yeah. So very powerful amount of time. Jesus' experience... Let's listen closely to this in light of our last episode. Jesus' experience, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, called by the Spirit, unable to resist the call, goes off into the wilderness alone. Sounds like the shaman's calling, (laughs) right? Yeah. He's a shaman. He's a shaman of his people. And we can see that this tradition that Jesus is a part of stretches well beyond Judaism or Christianity into a long-established pattern of spirit workers across the ages. Sort of makes you appreciate him in a different light. The story of Jesus' baptism suggests that Jesus began his career as a member of John's sect. However, after John's arrest, it's clear that Jesus had his own visions and went off in his own direction. So Sam is sort of already pointing at the connections between John's ministry and Jesus. Well, both of you, Sam and Riley, that John was saying, I'm going to give you this cleansing free of the church. Jesus picks up that message, but he takes it (laughs) to the next level, Mm -hmm. you know, forever and ever. So uh, to start his ministry, Jesus gathered his first
5: disciples and began to wander the country performing miracles and preaching. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at Evan, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him.
2: We're not even a full chapter into Mark, and already we're at our central question. How was Jesus performing these miracles? The first thing we've got to accept is that this was a very different time from our own, and miracle workers were not as unique as they might be in our time. Galilee had only been converted to Judaism when the Jews conquered that area between 125 and 75 BCE, and many of these conversions may have only been skin deep, with supposed believers continuing to hold much of their pagan belief system, including a variety of magical practices. And Judaism itself, as it evolved, incorporated a wide variety of these practices, often involving the use of the secret name of God, which transformed over time into the Kabbalah. So far, so good, Christians? Uh Uh, what, what, Riley? Just about what about this notion of people not uh, performing miracles so much these days? Y'all still do perform miracles.
4: Oh yeah.
2: Do you think it's as prevalent?
4: Um, I think it still is, but in a different, in a different way. Um, definitely. I How think. so? I think for one, it's accepted differently in mm. our culture. Like it's not viewed in the same way as it as it was then, and it's typically shut down.
2: As so you mean it's like it's kept not, within the church?
4: Yeah, and it's not typically something listened to outside of the church. Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, okay, evangelization one hundred and one is you never talk about miracles. Mm. It's literally because people automatically shut down. See, but that's what would that get up.
2: Olivia and I into the exactly. Room. Yeah, <laughs> but like... you're
4: different. You're very different. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than other people who don't, no, yeah, who yeah, are yeah, very but... cynical. Um, I mean, all of the, in order to be canonized as a saint in the church, forget how many miracles you have to pre- perform. Um, oh, I forget how many miracles it is, but it's a sizable amount of miracles. The number, I think,
2: has gone up over time. Yeah. In the early days. And you have an
4: investigative, um, it's a really hard process. It takes years and years, usually. I think, you know, some of the quicker saints have been like Mother Teresa and John Paul II, but even then, it was about 15 years. Um, But you have, you know, dedicated people, and they purposely bring in, most of the people on the case are non-Catholics, usually atheists. And, um, yeah, because that's the whole point. And so, saints have to have verified miracles that are spent time investigating. Um, but we, you never bring up miracles usually to people because people automatically shut that down. That's not what they...
0: I agree very much. Uh, and I think it is a cultural thing. Um, you know, we have like this very material, materialist viewpoint of the world. Like what is physical is all. Um, you don't particularly see the Protestant church talking a whole lot about miracles that are done in this day and age you don't hear them talking about stuff that's very non-physical in a sense it's like this is the physical world and we deal with reality um but i've seen a shift otherwise recently just in the churches that i've been going to i'm seeing a lot more stuff where it's like laying on hands healing through prayer and stuff like that and invoking the spirit into a space i see that more of more common now that i have in the past in protestant churches
4: well, I think the big difference here between the two is that most of the miracles done canonized are after they die. It's all invoking of saints after death. That's where miracles oh. come from. Um, and that's something that Protestant church doesn't touch at all. It's no. when you're dead, you're dead. Whereas right, you're for us, world I, my, I, right, you know, right. my, my day is spent asking saints to intercede for me and every, you know, like that's like we're constantly invoking the saints. Um, yeah. and that's where those miracles come from. So that's the difference mm-hmm.
0: there. Mm-hmm. Ours is power through the spirit that dwells inside of us like that's just at least when we talk about like just healing through prayer like a lot of times i'll go to church and um towards the end of church we'll have people up at the front and the entire congregation will come and lay hands and the our uh, our pastor is saying like through the power of the holy spirit we're gonna um pray for healing for you it's much more of like that it is very much like you we said. Don't do any of that. Yeah, yeah. That's the
3: most Protestant. Protestant
1: <laughs>
4: That's the most Protestant you have ever heard you. Really? Yeah.
2: Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know how to respond to that. Well, on that. <laughs> on that note, Morton Smith, uh, who we've got to note is a controversial but fascinating New Testament scholar, offers us three classes of miracle workers circulating at the time. The first was the. Goetis, a kind of a Greek shaman. Where's James when you need him?
1: Yeah. Goetis. <laughs> uh,
2: the origin of the term as it would be used in medieval grimoires. So the word Goetis would come up in medieval grimoires later. That's cool. They entered a state of ecstatic trance and accompanied the dead on their journey to the underworld. A little bit lazarus The Magus, version number two. So we have the Goetis and we have the Magus. Considered both more powerful and of a higher status than the Goetis, and the Magus came from Persia, the Magi. The Magi were an insular group who practiced incest to keep their bloodline pure. <laughs> didn't hear that about the Magi, but fun fact. Uh, and practiced a secret Yikes. brand of magic that they didn't share, so they were more occulty than the Goetis. Jesus did not identify as either of these. Goetis engaged in ecstatic trance to achieve their spirit work, and magi used complex formulas and talismans like potions and crystals. Jesus took a uniquely straightforward approach.
5: And a certain woman, which had had an issue of blood twelve years ago and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. If I may touch but his clothes I shall be whole. And straight away the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press. Who touched my clothes?
4: Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? It was me. I touched your garment.
2: Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plane.
4: I love that story. Why is that? I've given, okay, that's like one of my classic talks. Is on it's on the hemorrhaging It's a classic one. Riley. It's a classic
1: Riley. Classic Riley. Riley.
3: Oh, classic. every,
4: let me tell you, whoever listens to this that has ever done anything with me, they can probably say it verbatim. Okay, so talk. tell
2: me why. Why is this story speak to you question. so much?
4: Um, well, uh
2: on an emotional level
4: yeah definitely it's like that's probably one of the most emotional parts like for me of um i don't know what it is it just has always really very much like touched me and i love the the image of this woman and you you picture it too like this just enormous crowd being pushed around and like this woman who literally has nothing left literally like it's all been gone and like this is her like very last hope and i can like you can just think of this woman who's like hope has been drained from her and like literally her, she repeats to herself, if I can just touch the tassel of his cloak, like as she repeats that to herself and like she's on the ground in this, you know, town, you know, city square or whatever and, um, and that he notices her, like past all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all his apostles are like, You're seriously asking who just touched you? Like there's all these people around and as he gets down like onto her level and like, you know, looks at her and it's a but very he can personal heal her and emotional.
2: Without having to do yeah. anything. Yeah. This is all this story is really what marks Jesus is unique among mm-hmm. the healers at this time period. He seems To have an indwelling healing power Mm -hmm. that just comes out of him. And he
4: can feel it when it does. And he need do
2: nothing to release it. Yeah. Which is unlike any of the other healers that we're talking about here. Yeah. He's what Morton Smith calls a divine man. Not needing trances or rituals or spells, but healing just through an innate power. He didn't even know that the woman had touched him, right? And yet she was healed, regardless Mm -hmm. of his knowledge. There's another interesting aspect of this account, namely that Jesus feels the power go out of him when he heals. This doesn't mean that the power is finite, but it does show that it has a palpable presence in him. He's a physical response Mm -hmm. to the act of healing. The reference to physicians in this story is actually a bit misleading. Medicine was certainly primitive at this time period, but poor medical care wasn't generally the cause of protracted illnesses. So this woman wasn't suffering because of bad medicine.
4: I feel like that was more of a way of saying that she had, like, basically exercised all her resources. Yes. Like, there was nothing left, rather than...
2: It was probably more like the temple that was causing problems. Sickness was associated with sin, and if you mm-hmm. were sick, it's because you were sinful. Heavy Roman taxes, which gets at Riley's point about her being on her last dime, led to malnourishment, which precipitated sickness. And sickness was a sign of sin, forcing the victim to turn to the temple to have his or her illness relieved. So you're already poor. The Romans are taxing you. You're turning to the temple. And the temple's demanding high fees for sacrifices to purge your sin. But you don't have the money. The sick also couldn't work, which further exacerbated their trouble. And Jesus, like John the Baptist before him, intervened in this system by healing the sick for free, breaking a vicious cycle. And he commanded his disciples to go out and do the same for free. It's almost like Jesus was the first
0: to say medicare for all dude socialism (laughs) yeah for real no no no. i say this all the time like when you really do look at jesus like very much has like a very socialist collective mindset when it comes to just like his idea of a social structure
4: but it was also never about government
2: no right it was very communal i mean there was a sense that there was an expectation that you as healer would be welcomed into a home and fed but that exchange was not monetary. There was a communalism too mm-hmm. to the act of healing and being healed. The fact that the disciples didn't bring, bring anything along with them meant they had to rely on other people, as we're saying, to offer them a roof to sleep under and food. They healed and exercised for free in exchange for breaking bread with the family. The fact that they traveled from town to town and never put down roots upset any potential for them to become an establishment unto themselves. They're very anti-establishment. Because if you just stay, then you become this sort of center of power, and you develop. Mm. So they moved. It's a moving.
4: ragtag group of homeless guys. It's literally going their, somehow their established the world's legends. largest religion.
2: <laughs> they had to start anew in each town, rather than build the relationships that inspire patronage in the ancient Rome, and nepotism and corruption, which the ancient Romans were all about, and let's be honest, so are we. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Jesus' parables and sermons were inspirational. By we, I don't mean this podcast, by the way. I do mean the American government <laughs> to begin corporate culture. Yeah. Big old capitalism. Uh,
0: yeah. You can buy Trump straws now to own the libs.
2: Yes, Jesus' parables and sermons were inspirational, and yes, Jesus set a powerful example by his martyrdom, but his miracles really cut to the heart of what he was all about, undermining the money-hungry power structure and raising up the disenfranchised. Jesus was a champion of the downtrodden, whose healing was both miraculous and politically radical. He was an enemy of the establishment with its comfortable perch above the rabble, commanding, controlling victimizing. You like him any better, Olivia? Who? Jesus. I didn't... Oh, you're did always on board with dislike Jesus. Jesus. She's like, oh, who? No. It's just in a...
3: No, I've always thought that's part of why, like, I mean, I was the one that wanted to go to church as a kid. Like, my parents yeah. didn't put me there. I thought it was interesting. Me
2: too, actually.
3: But I always thought it was, like, really cool story time, I think. I hmm. could never get past that. But I thought it was so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: So the healing that Jesus and his disciples offered required the client to provide a bit more than just a roof and some bread and wine. In order for the client to be healed, he or she had to believe. There's one more component to this, right? This is a point Jesus makes over and over again. The woman who touched the hem of his garment was made whole by her faith.
4: And the interesting part of it is that it's different than the rest of it is because like... It's not like some requirement he had. Like, oh, before I heal, you ha- you have to believe in me. Tell me you believe in me. Just like, happened. like she had this belief. It wasn't voiced and it already happened. Like, it was the belief drew it out regardless. It wasn't this, you know.
2: It was an indwelling condition yeah. of hers.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It's necessary for the healing's efficacy. There's a story of Jesus returning to his hometown and the people there refusing to believe in his miracles because to them, it was just Jesus. That's just Jesus, right? You know, Jesus, Mm, Jesus from from the Mary's kid. What's he doing here? Right,
4: the carpenter. I always wondered if he was like a crappy carpenter. Sorry, like you know, like what if he? I always wonder that. Like Uh, he became a prophet prophet because because he's a bad carpenter. Like, like, can you imagine that? Like Jesus, he's like the one that made us that like shitty shelf. Like that's what I always thought about. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's like (laughs) he's turning water. (laughs) I want Pastor. I (laughs) want Pastor give a sermon. about that but he was like but imagine how sucked. ripped jesus was jesus was ripped like muscular oh, yeah because dude. like he had to work carpentry without he was like proper tools with those tribal
3: support. tattoos are you kidding
0: <laughs> dude he probably had a man bun too
3: <gasps> i think
4: i'm in love with jesus
0: i
2: guess but there was a time Aww. when he put the love tools down life. and never picked them up again
4: true We're in love with jesus oh absolutely for was, a while i thought i was gonna be a nun recently not
2: but for a long time recently not yeah
5: Jesus, you know, little Jesus. Remember when Mary was giving birth to one of the girls and she asked us to come over and watch him? (laughs) He wet through his nappies into his little tunic, but we didn't have a spare tunic, so we had to dress him in a palm (laughs) frond. Right, right, that Jesus. Anyway, he went off to discover himself and now he's back with a bunch of his long-haired friends. Yeah, says he's God now.
2: And Mark says, he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Presumably, a bunch more sick folk missed their chance because they didn't believe. This is the spirit cure of the shamans, or the modern day placebo in its biblical context. Belief has the power to effect actual cures, right? Would you
4: still have me on the podcast if I was a nun?
2: Yes. Yeah. Even more so. <laughs> I mean, no, you, you so can't cool.
3: not be on podcasts because you're not. Would you wear not. the
2: habit in that'd photographs? Be,
3: yeah, yeah, I'd have to. Oh,
2: well, great. Could you imagine? That you, would be... With the rhyming the nun. That'd be, be fun. That'd be metal. <laughs> that would be. Nuns are so cool. All right, moving
5: on. And they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth... He began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me.
3: Hold your peace, blind beggar. This man is a great worker of miracles. He
5: doesn't have time for
2: beggars who are also blind.
4: Or blind men who are also beggars.
2: Yeah, be gone. Please, thou son of
0: David, have mercy on me.
2: Call him over.
0: Who, him? him but he's blind. Yeah, and also a beggar. Yeah,
4: a blind beggar. Mm-hmm. Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee.
0: Thank you, Jesus. What wilt thou that I should do unto thee?
5: Lord? That I might receive my my, my sight. Go thy way. Thy faith had made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way.
2: Scholars who lack our confessor's understanding of the power of belief and the interconnection between mind, body, and soul tend to argue that all of Jesus' clients were in some sense afflicted by psychosomatic disease. That is to say, they were hysterical patients. Timaeus wasn't actually blind, but suffered from hysterical blindness. Belief in the form of psychosis caused the disease, and so belief could easily heal it. But the volume and variety of ailments that Jesus successfully cured makes that a difficult sell. Matthew and Luke report that Jesus successfully cured leprosy. His first reported healing in Mark is a case of palsy. According to John's gospel, Lazarus of Bethany was dead for four (laughs) days. The a
4: psychosomatic death.
2: Just does, was does, does jerusalem just have a problem with psychosomatic <laughs> diseases like
0: everyone's really like he's just like crap another one like this really is just
3: the
4: first really good like psychologist
0: there are
2: very nervous you know. people I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) In truth, Jesus was one of many magicians circulating around Israel and Transjordan at the time period, including magicians who performed miracles much like Jesus. Some of the major miracle workers roving around the Greco-Roman world at the same time include the philosopher Apollonius of Tiana, the physician Asclepiades,
1: Oh. Mm.
2: And the emperor Vespasian actually did some healing. How about that? Uh, What was so special about Jesus that he became the founder of the world's most widespread religion though? Everyone wants to know. Why not Apollonius or Vespasian? Why don't we have a religion for Vespasian, the Emperor Vespasian? For comparison, what, you got an idea?
4: I mean, did he call himself God?
2: No, he probably didn't. Well, yeah, he did. He was the Emperor of Rome.
4: But like, did he like say something like, I created that?
2: Did Jesus?
4: A little bit. <laughs> we'll get into we can get in that later. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. So, a little bit. <laughs> he kind of did. The Roman that's the emperors. One, that's the thing that does set him apart a little bit, they is that he, he was really, yeah. you know, he literally did, like, I mean, he'd perform that stuff, but then afterwards he was like,
0: I did it because I'm God.
4: <laughs> you know, like, that was the He it. was
0: like, who,
1: <laughs> who am
2: I? <laughs> like, hey,
0: Peter, who <laughs> am I? Uh, God, uh-huh. But yes, that's right. Like Everyone else answer. hear that?
2: Vespasian-figured people already know. Mm-hmm. For comparison, uh, why don't we take <laughs> sure, a deep dive sure. into the life of Apollonius? We're picking on Vespasian, but I've actually prepared to talk about Apollonius. <laughs> in Can our, you improv uh, on the wrong guy. <laughs> All right, Olivia's going to handle the brief history for us today. Woo! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. About brief history. I'll do that for you. Thank,
3: Thank you. Well, actually. Wow. <laughs> Apollonius. Apollonius. Thank yeah. you. Apollonius was born around the year two into a wealthy Greek family. In youth he trained in and followed the Pythagorean philosophical tradition. Yeah, like, nice. the, like the theorem, yeah. Like Alcagerus. the theory? Yeah,
2: like that theory In math? Math guy. But he had a whole philosophy.
3: Yeah, I don't even remember the...
2: Yeah, most
0: philosophers were math guys. Oh.
3: He grew his hair long, gave up women and wine, became a vegetarian, only wore linen, and slept on the ground. I think I know him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's very Jesusy, though. Can you hear the... the yeah, it's the guy that lives
3: on the corner. Yeah, he goes to UMD. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's a philosophy teacher. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. It's
3: Sam. Sam (laughs) is
2: (laughs) planning to be a philosophy major. My hair's getting long. Yes. I was going to say something about that. Go ahead. Sorry.
3: (laughs) He protested animal sacrifice, gave away his family inheritance, and committed to a five-year period of silence.
6: Yeah.
4: That's a commitment. i have done. Five days. not
6: oh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: five years. Sounds actually, like what
2: he does for Riley, that feels like a feat for you. Oh, I that. Sounds a like a That's big old, old nerd. Five
4: whole, five whole days of complete silence. I'm impressed. Still for you. Yeah, my Ooh, like, dream is the 30 day one.
3: After emerging from his silence, he traveled to Turkey, Persia where he learned from the Magi, India where he studied with the naked gymophists.
2: Gy- Gymnosophists. Gymnosophists. Yeah. Everyone's gotta study with someone who's naked.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Rob, Sages. why didn't we study with you Genesophis.
4: while you were <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, Title IX. Title IX. That's yeah. entirely the reason.
3: And the less-naked Brahmins, Nineveh, Babylon, and Egypt. Nineveh. Nineveh. Yeah. That Nineveh 90. Right.
4: It's a Is really Nineveh... Extreme... Isn't what? Nineveh in the Bible? Nineveh 90? Isn't is Nineveh... a super extreme 90-day thing that you do, like, kind of over Lent. It's like you get rid of, you don't do, it's just extreme penance. Like you don't eat anything. And you don't like, I know, I know people have done it. Isn't like the people Nineveh of Nineveh did? In <laughs> that what did they
2: do to deserve that?
4: They did a lot of things. I <laughs> They're the bad people in that one story in the Veggie Tales movie, in right? Jonah? Yes!
2: Oh. oh, they didn't believe him and then he got into the whale. They scared Jonah the, into the, the whale. the town
3: right? where all the bad people live, right? Yeah. They're all sinning. There are a lot of yeah. towns
2: with bad people. No, but it's icon. like a whole no, but it's no like Gomorrah,
3: you know. You no,
2: need 90
3: but, days. It's no Gomorrah, but... He was Good. inducted in the mysteries of a series of cults into the Eleusians, Eleusinians. Lucinians, Lucinians. And he performed a series of miracles. At the wedding of his former student, Menippus, mm-hmm. he discerned that Menippus' bride was actually a Lamia. A serpent-like child
2: eater. While wow, yeah, that escalated, he was, he was the guy was like, "Come to my wedding," and <laughs> Apollonius was like, "Cool, sounds fun." Yeah. And then he gets to the wedding. He's like, "Hey, you get your bride there."
4: How do you do that? Oh, yeah,
3: you she's break a the demon.
2: News. <laughs> she's a serpent demon who eats children.
3: And the wedding feast, along with all the guests, were merely an illusion.
2: Yeah, so, and, and here's the Well, piece so Wait, yeah, He still wasn't actually letting he came to the was the only wedding. real person there. Fact number one, he had to tell that the bridegroom was Brides a Demon. Fact number <laughs> two was... Here. None of these people are here. <laughs> wait, wait, how do we even know if Apollonius is there? Ooh, but wait, was there's the, the, did the groom, major. Wait, did yeah, there um, yeah. he is.
4: But did the groom know
3: Don't that they really were all there? Me.
2: Yeah, he thought they were. He was, he so was he had to break it. Not only did he have to break yeah. the child, leader,
4: but he was like, You're,
3: no one's at your wedding. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> Apollonius dispelled the illusion and rescued the bridegroom.
1: Aw. This nice
3: guy. Oh, he healed a man whose hip had been dislocated when a lion leapt at him and gave sight to a man who'd had his eyes pulled put out. To cure a woman who had bad trouble in labor, he told her husband to walk once around her when she was about to deliver with a hair clutched to his bosom and then release the hair.
4: That's what I tell That's women That's some to do. pagan shit right there. Check. That's what
3: I, did, you know, as a
4: doula. A boy <laughs> was a- That's <laughs> exactly what I say.
3: <laughs> a boy was bit by a mad dog and began acting like a dog himself, running around on all fours and licking himself in front of his neighbors. Apollonius perceived exactly where the dog was who bit him, brought the dog to heal, and had the dog lick the boy's wounds, curing both the boy and the dog of the madness.
2: So he's a man of the people and the dog. And the dog oh. he loves the dog. He
4: didn't do any Jesus Jesus yeah, no. He didn't actually cast demons into pigs. Yeah. Not out of them. Bomber
2: yeah. for he those also- pigs. <laughs>
4: yeah, they drowned themselves. <laughs> yeah, they did.
0: Real quick. <laughs> In fact.
4: He also
3: raised the dead. While on his travels, he came across a man following a funeral procession for a girl. The girl was a new bride who had died at her own wedding before her marriage vows could be fulfilled. Apollonius asked the girl's name, and the crowd at the procession thought he was about to give a speech in her honor. But instead, he leaned over her and began to whisper. The girl woke and spoke and went to her father's house. Her father offered Apollonius 150,000 sist- 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 sisters. 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 Yeah. What, what, are, what, are what are those?
2: It's a whole bunch of coins.
3: Like, uh, so what
2: is it, like three donkeys
3: and 40 bucks. Yeah, about like there. Yeah. I mean, okay, cool. he yeah. got 150,000 of them. so...
2: Well, bet did Apollonius keep them?
3: But Apollonius told the father to give it to the young woman as a dowry.
2: Social justice.
3: Apollonius had mixed relationships with the emperors of Rome. He befriended Vespasian, but was a harsh critic of his son, Domitian. Domitian?
2: Yeah, you got
3: it. The last of Vespasian's... (laughs) The
2: last of the Flavian dynasty. Thank you. Which was only three guys.
3: Apollonius had been in the habit of criticizing Domitian, and may have been accused of attempting to divine the fate of a conspiracy against Domitian by reading the entrails of a sacrificed boy. Domitian was, by all accounts, not especially cool. He more or less neutered the Senate and expelled any critics from its ranks. He ruled as a despot from the imperial court, which he wasn't often at, traveling off to conduct military campaigns and leaving Rome leaderless since the seat of power went wherever he was. He micromanaged the state and the military. He punished writers who spoke out against him with exile or death, not especially unusual for emperors, but he also forbade mimes from performing and the public loved-
2: Loved mimes. And the loved mimes. The yeah. Romans loved mimes. Outrage over oh, mimes. And he mimes. just decided like can't do that anymore.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah,
2: but I mean the Roman mimes are not the same as like our mimes. It wasn't a guy in a beret with the white yeah. face paint. They were... But did
4: they do the same thing? Did they no, also? No, make a box? They, <laughs> no,
2: they they did comedies and stuff. Yeah. But why but would like, he say no? Just because there was a, a there was panto mime, which was silent. And then there was mime, which was mime more like, like mimicry. Mimic- mimicking life. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, no way.
0: So he just was like, no more mimes because I suck. Yes, he was mean.
3: <laughs> and, in 87, he punished several Vestal virgins for failing to maintain their vows of chastity by burying them alive according oh. to the custom. Rough, right? Yeah.
0: Sorry, burying, being buried alive is like my biggest fear.
2: Y- yeah. You and everyone
0: in
3: the You and Edgar Allan Poe, yeah, so I was about to, <laughs> to say.
0: That's so scary. Yeah.
3: At his trial, Apollonius mocked the trial, implied that Socrates had somehow survived his execution and abused his judges.
5: Man of Tyana, you must enter the court with nothing on you. Are we then to take a bath or to plead? The rule does not imply to dress, but the Emperor only forbids you to bring in here either amulet, or book, or any papers of any kind.
6: And not even a cane for the back of the idiots who gave him such advice as this? Tell me you went out of your house on a certain day, and you traveled into the country and sacrificed the boy. I would like to know for whom. If I did leave my house, I was in the country. And if this was so, then I offered sacrifice. And if I offered it, then it was the sort of sacrifice that a man such as myself could eat, which I did. But let these assertions be proved by trustworthy witnesses. I acquit
2: you of the charges, but you must remain here until we have had a private interview.
6: Clearly, the people approve of you. I thank you indeed, my sovereign. But by reason of these miscreants your cities are in ruin, and the islands full of exiles, and the mainland of lamentations, and your armies of cowardice, and the senate of suspicion. I must speak out against these failings. But if you will not, then send someone to take my body. For my soul you cannot take, nay, you cannot take even my body. For thou shalt not slay me, since I tell thee I am not mortal.
3: And then he vanished from the courtroom like Houdini and went about his life completely unafraid of the Emperor's vengeance. Later he... Psychically perceived the moment of Domitian's murder in Rome. Domitian had dreamed that he saw the goddess Minerva and she told him she'd been disarmed by Jupiter and could no longer protect him. Domitian believed he'd be killed at noon and had developed a habit of growing restless at midday. At noon on the 18th of September in the year 96, when he asked a servant the time, the servant lied and said late afternoon, putting the emperor at ease. His steward, Stephanus, had been wearing a bandage around his arm for several days, feigning an injury. Stephanus came into the Emperor's chamber, brandishing a document that he claimed proved a plot against the Emperor's life. As Domitian took the paper in hand, the steward pulled a dagger out from inside the bandage on his arm and stabbed the Emperor in the groin.
2: Right in the groin.
3: Damn.
2: Good place to stab.
3: Domitian struggled, but was stabbed seven more times. Seven
2: more times. That's how you kill an Emperor. You don't stab him once. Yo. Seven times in the
3: groin. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I don't know if they were all in the groin. I hope not. Do you think he spread it out? Yeah, it started in the groin, worked his way up.
3: In Ephesus, Ephesus, in Ephesus, fes- in Ephesus, Ap- Apollonius was giving a speech to a crowd when he suddenly dropped into a trance and said, "Smite the tyrant! Smite him!" At the exact moment when Domitian breathed his last, Apollonius went on to set up a school in Euphuesus Uf- and died later that year or the next. The exact time and nature of his death is shrouded in mystery and adds to his legend. And that's a brief history of Apollonius of Tyana.
2: Very nice. An iconic person. Yeah, guy. <clears throat> so what's the point of all that? Uh, Jesus and Apollonius have a lot in common. They both healed the sick. They both raised the dead. They both challenged authority. They both opposed sacrifice as a religious principle. They both achieved miraculous escapes from their oppressors. And they both claimed some form of divinity. Apollonius was a pagan, whereas Jesus was a Jew, but that shouldn't have made much difference. If anything, Greco-Roman paganism was the more widely accepted tradition at the time. So the question for us becomes, why don't we all worship at the Temple of Apollonius and pray to him? That's actually a good point, because the Jews were
0: under Roman rule and subjugated, almost looked at as second-class citizens.
2: Apollonius should have been the more popular choice. Mm -hmm. And yet? So let's figure it out. Let's start with the fact that Apollonius wasn't a martyr, and martyrdom, self-sacrifice for the salvation of humanity, was arguably the hallmark of early Christianity. Let's take a quick moment for Stephen, my favorite saint. Mm. Stephen was a member of the early church, one of the seven deacons appointed by the apostles to distribute aid to the poor. He raised the ire of the establishment by speaking out in Greek synagogues, arguing for Christian principles and against the Jewish clergy. He argued that God dwells beyond the limits of the temple, whereas the priests strictly controlled access to God's mercy and grace, and that people resisted God when they refused to listen to his prophets and to Jesus, and now to Stephen himself. The crowd grew incensed around him, and Stephen had a sudden vision which he shared with the crowd of heaven opening and the Son of Man, Jesus, sitting on the right hand of God. The crowd, now enraged to the point of homicide, took up rocks and stoned him to death while Stephen prayed aloud for the Lord to receive his soul and forgive his killers. One of the witnesses of this stoning was Saul, who would make one of the most famous conversions in the history of Western religion and change his name to Paul. The S to the P. S to the P. Good old Paul. (laughs) The sheer passion of the martyrs was a powerful recruitment tool. These people, following Jesus of Nazareth's example, were willing and sometimes even anxious to give their lives for their new religion. Seeing this, the witnesses to their faith and self sacrifice became quick converts. It wasn't it to tear this day. Who got crucified? He upside
0: was like down. Yeah, they're like crucify you. And he's like, all right, do it upside down though.
4: Because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way. To this day, martyr I mean like that's well if you're if you die in a martyr, you're you're automatically so there's three steps to becoming a saint? First one, servant of God. Second one is um, a blessed, you're beatified. Third one is you're a saint, you're canonized. It's a long process. But if you're a martyr, you're automatically a servant of God. You don't have to
2: skip a few steps. Yeah.
4: No, I like martyrdom is literally like I when I was little, I like prayed that I could be a martyr. Like, literally, I mean, yeah. yeah.
2: There was that guy uh, who got in that little canoe and uh, went to the island where, no, recently, very recently, yeah. a missionary. Oh, I don't yeah. know which tradition he represented. Well, was, but he
4: was like an evangelical
2: Christian, yeah. a Christian yeah. missionary. Well, he was in what the was family.
4: That about, yeah, yeah know, that was one crazy. Of my, one of
2: our guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, goes to, yeah, a, and, to the. And they kill everyone. Who yeah, because they're to the literally, island,
3: they're like. Yeah. And they killed him. But he, like, knew that they were going to, like, he had
4: knowledge that they did this, but he still did it.
0: But his faith of. Having to get the good news to them drove them there anyway. That
4: was never my, I, I don't know. I always wanted like the, I mean, I loved like Joan of Arc. That was my life. You wanted to, to um, die burn.
2: defending oh. France?
4: Yeah. exactly. <laughs> I just really love France. Um, oh man, but, I just
2: can't wait to
0: defend the eastern shore and burn I, for it. Oh good, that could happen.
4: <laughs> um, No, but I finally I, realized. I think it's possible. No, but I also think it's like, I mean, the classic Catholic thing of dying to yourself. Like for me, I totally wanted to be a martyr, but I was like, I think that would be an easier choice for me than the other way around of like living and like having to die to myself every day. Like having to have that little death every day. Yeah. Like I don't like, like, I don't make just one choice. I got to make that choice every Every day day. to decide to die for myself, to die.
2: Buddha had to do 80 years. Yeah. So Christianity spread until at last it won its most famous convert, well... Historically, maybe its most famous and significant, the Emperor Constantine. Becoming the state religion of Rome, and the rest, as they say, is what happened. Jesus' sacrifice remains the central symbol of Christianity, as Riley's pointing out. It has influenced her all these 2,000 years later. The religion is, after all, symbolized by the cross, the literal device for his execution. Just take a second to think about that.
0: Yeah.
3: But pagans are supposed to be weird and creepy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> A central I mean, ritual of church service is the consumption of bread and wine, symbolizing or instantiating, Riley, his body and blood. <laughs> Given for the sake of humanity's there. salvation. I mean,
0: even with like the youth program that I work with, Young Life, like the main goal of Young Life is to get people to learn and know of the sacrifice like that is the main thing it's like getting people to know about what he did the whole thing It's yeah. literally the
2: whole thing so that's why we have jesus and not apollonius church of jesus mm-hmm. not church of apollonius <laughs> Olivia, bring us on home.
4: I hereby adjourn and
3: declare close this meeting of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors till such a time as we get together and do it again.
2: Our voices today came from Sean Priest, also James Kaplan, just Shannon Landers, uh, and our discussants joined us as well doing our voices. Am I missing anyone? Uh, Jacob check. Jacob Wheatley There he is Good old Jacob I
4: remembered you Jacob There
2: you go Jacob Riley loves you I do uh, In a discussion uh, Oh boy We never came up With a name for Sam Oh <laughs> Oh dude <laughs> Yeah
4: <laughs> Can we
3: ask for ideas?
2: Yeah we can We can ask for ideas
0: You know, I'm all no. Actually I'm all about that Go okay. ahead, I, I would love to hear what the Order of we're Professors gonna, has Okay, So
2: it's time for Sam to be titled Because Riley's been titled Everyone else in the circle's been titled And Sam just got through uh, an hour and 38 minutes Of being Catholicized So uh, he deserves a title
4: There's <laughs> so many more hours to go We're
2: gonna push uh... <laughs> I am so scared <laughs> We're gonna Gonna put out a poll on the old social medias. Find us on Facebook or Instagram, and uh, let us know what you sh- you think we should call Sam based on his conversation with us here today, or or the uh, subsequent uh, the previous episodes that we've heard from.
0: Uh, yeah, I was on the uh, Chinese
2: uh... Chinese secret societies. Yeah, yeah, that was a good time. You've also done some interesting voices for us.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also did the uh, the mini episode on the Tao.
2: Yes, that's right. Uh, okay, so... Uh, I'm also a patron. That mm-hmm. is the end of our discussion of Jesus of Nazareth. But never fear, for the Christians remain with us for two more episodes. But now we're going to go down the, the rabbit hole. Uh, we return with demonology next.
4: <laughs> I'm back.
2: <laughs> and then exorcism.
3: I'm so back. <gasps> can I back? Uh, you can
2: come to exorcism. Cool. Yeah. I don't have... It. Any of that? <laughs> Protestants did perform exorcisms during the Renaissance. Mm. Did we really? The difference between a Catholic and Protestant exorcism is that a Protestant would like go in a closet and pray for a few days, whereas a Catholic would like whip out their like True Cross relics and yeah. have all kinds of like be debating with the demon and. Uh, yeah, that's what we. But did. the Protestants over in the closet.
3: I'll be in the closet. <laughs> I mean.
2: <laughs> Thank you uh, for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> thank you for listening to the end of the episode if you
4: got if you got this far
2: yeah you congrats. are congrats you're a true I mean, wow. confessor i'll
0: give you a big old high five
2: high f- yeah if you manage to find us sam on the eastern shore it will high five you if all the right the uh, first one to find us gets a <laughs> two high fives
0: two high fives honestly you riley really made Protestantism sound pretty vanilla
1: it's pretty vanilla
0: <laughs> join us
2: <laughs> next time as we discuss uh, Solomon Just
1: to clear that up. <laughs> and
2: the demons here on a call
0: confession Riley that um, when I texted in our group chat I was like, where can I learn about this Jesus fellow and you responded with the Catholic Church? <laughs> I put my phone down and went.
1: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs>
2: I just put nice. <laughs> yeah, it was just a nice. I didn't respond at all. <laughs> this could be a very I think it's going to be a fun episode. <laughs> Here
1: we go.